We tend to think that um, different injustices or, or problems are completely separate, but they're actually very much linked. And uh, we realize that when we discriminate towards someone else and we give we, we don't respect their basic moral rights or we don't respect them as, as a human being, um, it all comes to an idea that their life matters less or that you are above them. There's some kind of feeling of supremacy, you know. When I first found out about what's happening to other animals, you know, we, we I obviously thought it's something separate, but it's not. It's still the same idea that our lives matter more. And unfortunately, people think that when I say this, that I actually mean that the life of a chicken has the same exact value as the life of, of, of a human. We're not really talking about the value of life. We're talking about the respect that these lives deserve. We're talking about what they need to be safe and to, be, to not be exploited or harmed in any way. That was Seb Alex talking about a compassionate lifestyle for all forms of life. And this is episode number 44 of the Aligned Performance Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Aligned Performance Podcast. If you are a returning listener to the show, then welcome back. And if you are a new listener, then welcome. I'm stoked that you are tuning in today and thank you for taking time out of your day to listen in to the podcast. My name is Trang, your host for the show. And by way of background, I am a qualified physiotherapist, running and strength and conditioning coach, a life and mindset mentor, and currently studying my master's of nutrition. So fair to say that I work with individuals and coach them in quite a broad way. And the reason I do that is because my vision and my goal for people and for this world is very deep. I see individuals thriving at the highest level possible and being able to use their power to contribute to a better world, to leave the entire planet a better place than when we first were born into it. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's at the highest level. The purpose of this podcast is helping people to achieve their potential with purpose because thriving individuals means that humanity can thrive. And when humanity thrives, then the whole world, all forms of life will thrive. And today's episode is specifically focused on contribution to a better world. More specifically, how we can all live more mindfully and consciously by leading a lifestyle that is in harmony with all forms of life who we share this planet with, doing our part to create a thriving world that is peaceful and loving so we can all live and thrive alongside each other, not just within our own little bubbles. Now, this is a podcast episode that I am extremely excited to share with you. I've wanted to do this topic for almost two years now, but I've actually held back for a variety of reasons. Number one, I wanted to wait till I was personally in the right headspace to talk about this openly. And secondly, I've wanted to wait to find the right person to talk about this, someone who is calm who is inclusive 
and can share this information in a logical, open way that encourages discussion and encourages curiosity rather than the other way around, you know, shutting things down. And today's incredible guest, Seb Alex, is just that. This topic, how our lifestyle affects other sentient beings, other lives that are non-human, is something that Seb has a lot of experience in and is the perfect person. I couldn't think of someone better to talk about this topic. Now, at the core, I believe that most people listening are pro-animal rights and are against animal cruelty. It's a no-brainer when the conversation is about dogs, kangaroos, or dolphins. But I know it can seem like a separate issue when it comes to other animals, such as cows, chickens, or sheep. I get that. You know, I used to be the exact same. I absolutely previously would have brushed this off and wouldn't have wanted to uh, listen in. But there is a reason for this. And the reason for this is because there is a dominant, therefore invisible ideology in our society that is woven into the way that we live. And that's called speciesism where our conditioning sees certain species of animals as superior and protected while others are not. And it's something that is taught from a young age. It's entrenched into how society is built from daily norms to education to the law. And this is why people will barely bat an eyelid to someone wearing the fur of a fox um, or eating the meat of a cow, yet wearing the fur of a dog or eating dog meat would be absolutely barbaric. And the intention of this episode is to have an open, inclusive conversation to create awareness so that instead of being inside of this belief system, you can step away and step out to look at this belief system with conscious choice. And what we'll do is we'll talk about these ideologies, how it actually works, you know, how our psychology works, and also create awareness about the opposite ideology of speciesism, and that is veganism. The idea of veganism, it's often assumed to be an ideology, but the reality is it's no more of an ideology than speciesism is. It's just because speciesism is dominant, therefore it's invisible and seen as a given and how things are rather than a choice and veganism is a minority. So it's seen as a choice. But the thing is, you know, veganism, it's not just a diet. It's not just a thing that extreme people do, but it's a lifestyle where people choose to align their actions with their values to do what is practically possible to minimize harm to other sentient beings. So today, you know, we're going to talk about these ideologies and um, create awareness about how our lifestyle does have a consequence and does have an impact on the lives of billions of other sentient beings. I want to really emphasize that this episode is going to be a safe, loving, and non-preachy space. It's about having a conversation simply on how we can be more mindful and conscious about the way that we live for the wider world. This episode is about sharing the facts 
And then from there, you can take that information and do with it what you will, what you would like to align with your values. I'll always say this, that everyone is on their own journey with their own beliefs and values. You know, it was only two years ago that this conversation would have triggered me. And because of that, I'm always going to respect everyone for where they are at on their journey. There is no judgment. I'll always hold love for every person. That's what this whole episode is about. It's about love for all forms of life, everyone who is out there, no matter our differences. So I hope that you feel the same about this episode and you will feel that ultimately we are all on the same side. So if someone is listening to this and they feel like they're not in a place where this will be a productive episode for them to listen to, then I welcome them to come back to this episode at another time when they are ready. Or maybe this is an opportunity for those people to learn more about themselves and to work through any of these unresolved issues that is within them to create more alignment. Now, let's talk about today's incredible guest. So previously, I would have had a stereotype of animal rights activists as extreme, as angry and irrational in nature to have this image of people breaking into farms and just creating a lot of violence. But Seb Alex is so far from that. Like a volunteer for a dog rescue organization or for a cancer foundation, Seb is a person who is simply driven by his heart to create change in this world. He puts the well-being of others before him because he has dedicated his life to speaking for those who don't have a voice. He's so calm, he's so well articulated and enjoyable to listen to. So I'm very excited to welcome him onto the podcast. Now, a little bit more about Seb's background. So Seb was born and raised in Lebanon. He started his career in the corporate world where he moved to Europe and worked as an international coordinator of projects for an architecture company. After a year, though, he decided to completely align his work with his values. So he chose to leave that job and to dedicate all of his time to animal rights advocacy. Since then, Seb has spoken to thousands of people about animal rights across Europe, Australia, and UK, from activist workshops to university talks. And more recently, Seb has started multiple projects for both animals and people. After the 2020 Beirut explosion, Seb started the Lebanese Vegans Social Hub in Lebanon, where he provides free vegan meals to the people who were made homeless after that explosion and now still runs regular workshops, lectures, and provides a co-working space for people. So in today's episode, we share a deep and expansive conversation about how the whole idea that some lives matter more than others is the root of all injustice. And for that reason, why animal rights and human rights are the same thing. Why we love dogs but eat cows. What is a sentient being? Do fish feel pain? What really happens behind closed doors that will probably surprise you? And how you can start your journey of living more mindfully for the wider world. So let's allay this. No more. Here's my conversation with Seb Alex. Seb Alex. It's an honor 
to have you on the show. This is something that I have been wanting to do for a couple of years now, but I've wanted to wait for the right person to come onto the show so that we can talk about this. And for you, Seb, because you are so calm, you are so open and inclusive, I couldn't think of anyone better to have this conversation with. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I've been following your work for a couple of years now. I'm a big fan. What you do is just so altruistic. You put in the hours and you've dedicated your life to creating a change for those who need it most. So today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how we can live a life that is going to be inclusive and compassionate for all forms of life on this planet, for all the different animals that we share this planet with. So to start with, Seb, I know that you do a lot of different work. You do you work on a lot of projects, not just for animals, but for humans as well in Lebanon and internationally. So can you start off by telling us about all the different things that you've been working on in the last year? Yeah, of course. Um, so at the moment, uh, one of the most exciting projects that we have um, that I'm helping run is the Animal Rights Center in Lebanon. Um, it was born after the Beirut port explosion that took place last year in August. Um, for the listeners who don't know about it, it was um, an explosion in the port of Beirut in the middle of the city of Beirut, uh, the third or the second biggest explosion and like human-made explosion in history of mankind. Wow. And um, over it was uh, t- between two different explosions that happened within six seconds. And within those six seconds, 300,000 people became homeless. Um, and of course, um, 200 people died, many animals died and were injured as well. Um, so what I did at the time, I was actually packing my bags to head to the airport when the explosion happened. Um, I was heading to Lebanon and um, in the family WhatsApp group that we had, they started messaging, checking on each other. And I was like, what is going on? Like, is everything okay? And, and they immediately said, don't come because we still don't know what it was. We don't know if it's like an attack or war or we don't know. But um, I went anyway, and uh, we knew for sure that people need help. So I reached out to an organization called Lebanese Vegans in Lebanon, and I told them I'm going to start a crowdfund. Let's let's help as much as we can. And with the money, we paid the vet bills of animals that were injured, uh, people who needed to help, uh, people who needed financial help to cover those costs, and also started distributing food, uh, ready-made vegan food, and also boxes with. Um, uh, basically packages of uh, plant-based food that people can use. Um, and we distributed food almost every single day. And then we started doing it maybe three or four times a week instead, because it went over two months. And we actually, since then, we do it now on a weekly basis. We've uh, distributed to over 5,000 families. And um, the way the Animal Rights Center opened was um, through the idea of we need a space to prepare all the food because I was buying like 600 kilos worth of um, rice and chickpeas and, and things like that. And we needed a place to separate that into smaller boxes. And uh, one person from Lebanese Vegans um, organization had a, a space that belonged to his family, uh, an old house. 
And then eventually, since they weren't using the house, he said, you know, why don't we make something out of this place? And the idea was born to start an animal rights center in Lebanon. Um, and we also, uh, so I help run the center. There's also a, a vegan uh, restaurant inside for free. Nobody has to pay anything. It's all based on donations if they have any money. Um, we also do a clothing distribution and the food distribution. Clothing is once a month or once every two months and the food is on a weekly basis. And we hold workshops, documentary screenings and events and things like that. So the whole idea is to make veganism as accessible as possible. We also have a small vegan shop inside with close to no profit from it. Uh, just because we know people are going to go like, I would go vegan, but it's more expensive. And then we're like, actually, no, come to the shop and you'll see that it's actually cheaper for you to be vegan. Um, that's one project. I also just had a call yesterday um, for a new project, which is the birth of a Lebanese vegan political party. Um, so I'll be helping out with that as well. Um, I also worked throughout and, and published throughout the last year um, an ebook available in 20 languages uh, about animal rights and logical fallacies. It's basically an explanation of how the the arguments that we use to try to justify our exploitation and discrimination of other animals are based on logical fallacies. And I want to help people realize that because I believe most people are logical people. And, and once they see that they're committing logical fallacies in this, they would reconsider their options. But the book is also for vegans who want to have easier conversations, you know, not, not get angry, not get triggered, not get frustrated. It helps them have those conversations as well. Um, other than that, I, um, I've done a, a few workshops and uh, online lectures as well. I've had the support of a Dutch political party called uh, Party for the Animals. So I've been able to speak at the Dutch parliament uh, regarding uh, my work and animal rights in general. Um, and some social media content and um, animal rescuing every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you've got just a little bit on your plate, Seb. But that's, uh, I forgot that's there's it... also the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I. that's what I love about what you do, Seb. You know, you've got a lot of different avenues that you do your activ activism, that you do your work. And like you mentioned before, last year when that explosion went off in Beirut, when people might have been leaving, you were flying in and you weren't just there for your family, but also to actually create something out of that for people as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just so wonderful what you do, Seb. Um, Thank you. And where you are now, this hasn't been something that you've always done. Um, and if I'm correct, you used to work in an architecture company and then at some point you changed. So can you tell yeah. us the story of your, your journey to how you got here today? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, I studied architecture and uh, sustainable architecture is uh, what I did my master's in. And then I was working in a corporate company of engineering and architecture. Um, I, I had a promising career, let's say I was head of inter, well, cooperating for the international projects of the company. And um, at the same time, I had started also organizing animal rights, educational activism events. And the more I did that, the more I saw how much of a great impact it had, the more I saw how open people were to the message. And the more I felt I'm wasting my time while at work, because I realized what I was doing at work was not contributing to making the world a better place in any way. In any way, actually, and the company had no ethics whatsoever. It was all about maximizing profit, uh, turning a blind eye to um, 
money laundering projects even. Um, so it was really not the right place for me. And I thought, you know what, what about I just stop doing this and um, dedicate my full time for animal rights advocacy. And uh, the way of income would be, I would start a Patreon page, which is similar to crowdfunding, but it's on a monthly basis and people can support anyway from $1 to whatever they wish. And they can stop and support and, and edit and whatever they wish, how, how, however much they wish to donate. And if it works, if I get enough support, if people see enough value, then great. And uh, if it doesn't, then I know I tried. I'll just get back to any job. I don't mind if I work in architecture or as a waiter, a job is a job for me. As long as I have food and shelter, that's enough. Uh, fortunately, I did get... Yes, it was also not the, the happiest moment of my parents at the time, who were very proud that they have an architect son working in a company. Um, but uh, they were both very supportive at the end. Um, and um, I, I fortunately did get the support that I needed um, to make it through. And um, here I am now. It's been, I think, four years to that. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say that's yeah. such a big change because not only are you foregoing the security of like your job and of finances, but yes. also your identity as well, isn't it? Like, you know, you've you've um, grown up and you've gotten into this job and you've got this identity as an architect and then you you leave that all to chase something that you believe will, will serve the world for the better. Yeah, and and it wouldn't have been able uh, i wouldn't have been able to do it um if it wasn't for the for the support that i received of course because i sh i share about this very openly and, and i'm i'm more than happy to be transparent but when i quit my job i had around in australian dollars probably around $5000 in the bank account um and um i i took out like 1500 and i bought a camera so that's what i needed and then i was like okay let's do this and after four months, I had um, around 120 Australian dollars left in my bank account, around 80 euros. Wow! And uh, it was scary. <laughs> it was scary, and <laughs> I had, I had, I definitely had um, a few uh, uh, weeks where I, I literally only ate potatoes in the oven. That was the cheapest and most nutritious and most filling meal that I could make. Just throw potatoes in the oven and eat that for like uh, lunch and dinner. And, uh, and then after that, I, I actually like throughout that month, I, I got more patrons as well. And, and I, I managed to make it through. So I did get close to giving up. Um, but yeah, it, it didn't happen. So uh, uh, it was definitely a big change. I did have the security of having a good income and, and a promising future, let's say. Um, but it, it was just not the, the a place where I felt that I'm doing any good for myself or the world. So it was the right decision to leave. And, and now if anyone were to go onto your Instagram account in your bio, there is a quote in there that is just absolute fire. So I want to actually talk about that and use that to lead into the conversation that we're having. So the quote that or the, the message that's in your bio, Seb, is the idea that some lives matter less is the root of all injustice. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that in one sentence that really describes and explains so much. Um, and although this episode is about non-human animals, about um, all the different forms of life on this earth, the reality is this mentality 
is the cause of many different types of oppression, not just for animals. So Seb, are you able to explain more about this mentality? You know, where did it come from? Why does it still persist? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because we tend to think that um, different injustices or, or problems are completely separate, but they're actually very much linked. And uh, we realize that when we discriminate towards someone else and we give, we, we don't respect their basic moral rights or we don't respect them as, as a human being, um, it all comes to an idea that their life matters less. Whenever you harm someone, it's because um, intentionally harm someone, of course. And spe- specifically when it comes to discrimination-based harm, it's all based on the idea that they don't matter as much or that you are above them. There's some kind of feeling of supremacy, you know? And that discrimination could be, let's say, um, from uh, uh, heterosexual towards homosexual populations, from white populations to um, uh, colored populations, or, or but like I'm just saying that because there's so many different, um, let's say, um, races that we have created that we look at as you know uh, they're colored and therefore they are not as good, they are less important. You know that's how they were seen. Those were the terms that were used. And this happened all around the world. It happened in the States. It happened in South America. It happened in Australia. Um, Every single part of the world, there has been this issue of uh, giving less value to another life based on things that are very morally insignificant. Something as insignificant as where they are born, what skin color they have, what religion they follow. You know, it's it's almost as insignificant as what what shape their eyebrows are. You know, like how is the skin color of someone in any way decide the moral consideration that they deserve? And this is uh, something that's related to humans. We do the same with sexuality, with gender, with uh, with with everything that that literally has no moral value. We have somehow managed to attach a moral value to it. And in the process of doing so, create an incredible amount of harm that, that we cannot even imagine. And so this is something that I was taught to fight against from a very young age. Um, growing up in Lebanon, I'm also originally Armenian, and I'm third generation after the Armenian uh, Holocaust. So my great-grandma, who I knew in person, was a survivor of the Armenian Holocaust. So she ran away um, during the Armenian Holocaust from what is today Turkey, but it used to be Armenia. So she's one of the survivors um, who settled down in Lebanon. Uh, So 1.5 to 1.8 million Armenians were killed in the process. And those who survived created a new community of Armenians in Lebanon. And that's how I was born there. And the reason why I was taught about fighting for justice and against discrimination is because this Holocaust to this day remains unrecognized. Neither the Turkish government nor the majority of of the countries in the world recognize that this ever took place because of political issues, of course. So I always, uh, the, the environment that I was in was to encourage me to fight for the recognition because we deserve to be treated with respect and not be uh, discriminated against. And um, obviously knowing my great-grandma in person definitely made that something very personal for me. And um this was also something that was present in my parents. They were both human rights activists as well. And the discipline or the education that they gave me was make sure that you always treat people fairly, 
and uh, if you see something wrong that you try to you try to fix it if you have the power to do so and going from there when i first found out about what's happening to other animals you know we we i obviously thought it's something separate but it's not it's still the same idea that our lives matter more and unfortunately people think that when i say this that i actually mean that the life of a chicken has the same exact value as the life of 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 a human we're not really talking about the value of life we're talking about the respect that these lives deserve so when i say um other animals deserve basic moral rights. I'm really just talking about basic moral rights. I'm not saying cows have to have the right to vote and chickens the right to ride a bicycle or, or a car. You know, we're talking about what they need to be safe and to be to not be exploited or harmed in any way because we know that these are things that are in their interest. The same way it's in my and your interest to not be harmed and to have bodily autonomy and live our lives away from harm. And nowadays, a lot of psychologists are talking about this idea that speciesism, which is the discrimination based on the species, is actually the root cause of a lot of other types of discrimination because it's the first type of discrimination that we are taught. From a very, very, very young age, we are taught to play with a dog, with a cat, but eat the chicken, ignore the suffering of the cow, the pig, the fish, all these animals. And when we grow up with this idea of the ability to discriminate based on what another being looks like, that same concept starts turning to what another being dresses like, what another being looks like, as in the color of their skin, their gender, their sexuality. And we tend to start creating these new types of discriminations because we were thought at a very young age that it's okay to discriminate based on external looks of completely morally irrelevant factors. So this is why I believe that that quote represents very well what's happening in this world is that the idea that some lives matter more is the root. It's the actual root because it's only once you take away the the worth of another being that you can actually harm them. And I think that's something that we should be addressing in today's society. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why for me, when I first became more conscious about like the the speciesism then I wanted similar to you Seb to drop everything and go all in and and dedicate my entire life to that cause as well but after speaking to one of my mentors who I really look up to he actually said the exact same thing as you he said look at the root cause which is not just specific to animals it is embedded into all other um, forms of injustice in the world as well so you're better off tr- like looking at the root and addressing human consciousness at a high level which for you you may not um, know Seb but I rebranded my business at the start of this year and that's the entire direction that I've gone into to look at that um, at a high level so yeah it's really interesting that to, to talk about that to start with because that is the basis of what we're talking about today right And what you said before was really interesting. It's not something that we are born with. It's something that we are taught at a young age. That's where young children might have no issues um, playing with people who look different to them or they may want to actually um, question why is there meat on my plate or why should I be eating an animal? But it's actually um, that those questions and that urge is actually, yes, yeah, suppressed from a young age. And then, and that conditioning continues 
as they grow up. So the specific branch of this, um, we've been talking about all different um, forms of this discrimination in a way, but the specific branch when it comes to animals, you mentioned speciesism. Seb, are you able to explain what that is and how it's become so embedded and woven into society? Yeah, of course. I mean, when it comes to how we treat other animals, it's just something that we have done for such a long time that it is part of our traditions, our cultures, our uh, religious ceremonies sometimes. And it's also even made its way into science, even though it's not really backed up by science, but it has a lot of lobbying power. So it does kind of make its way in science as well. But we have to keep in mind that just because we have done something for a long time, it doesn't mean that it's it's moral. I mean, and, and that's one of the logical fallacies I talk about in the book. You know, it's an appeal, appeal to tradition. Just because we have done that in the past, it doesn't mean that it was right. It doesn't mean that we should continue. It doesn't mean that it's ever right to do so. And um, we can see this with uh, different types of discriminations, like in, in the past, we, we had societies that were much more sexist, you know, and, and we used to do things in the past that we would never accept today. But just because we did that, we wouldn't use that as a, as a justification, you know. So when we realize that we're wrong as humans, you know, and I get so many people saying this, like, oh, but we are so smart, you know, we're smarter than them. Yeah, we are in a lot of ways smarter than other animals. But then doesn't that mean that we should be able to evolve once we realize we're doing something wrong? We have moral agency. We are able to realize that we're harming others unnecessarily. So maybe it's better to not do that. And when we realize how much this is a part of our culture and tradition, we have to start working on questioning these methods of like living our lives. And once we start doing that, we're going to have a lot of obstacles. A lot of people who are very, um, let's say, attached to it because maybe it's their source of income or their source of pleasure. I mean, I used to hunt. I, I wasn't born vegan. I used to kill birds. Um, and I don't see that in any way worse than me walking into a supermarket and buying uh, a dead bird. It's the same thing. I'm either paying someone to kill the bird or killing the bird myself. Uh, so in a lot of ways, I know some people look at hunters in, in, in a worse manner, but I think they're just more consistent with their speciesism. At, at least they're willing to kill the animal. Most people would not even kill an animal because, because they don't want to harm, but then they don't, they don't even have to, like a second of thought before buying it at the animal. And, and that is part of the whole marketing strategy of this industry that it relies on secrecy it relies on you not thinking that you have harmed an animal the second you give them your money and that's why they have all these beautiful drawings on the packages that's why they use uh, words such as humane you know humane is to show compassion is to show benevolence how can we say that a being was unnecessarily killed in a compassionate way it, there's just no compassion in that um, so it has found its way into, into our societies all around the world. This is something that humans all around the world are responsible of, regardless of their, uh, the color of their skin, their religion, their race, whatever it is. Uh, and for that reason, we need to have a, a worldwide movement for animal rights in order to respect these animals, to give back to them the basic moral rights that, that we have given each other but also even some animals, you know, when it comes to dogs, for example, we don't mind putting someone in jail for harming a dog, 
but the judge who, who decides that that person has to go to jail the same day can go to, to a restaurant and, and kill another animal. And it's like, what's the moral difference between the two? And this is what speciesism is, you know, like we are creating a discrimination, an arbitrary discrimination. It doesn't even have any logical explanation. Ask any person if they can give one logical explanation why it's okay to do that to one animal and not okay to another animal. And they cannot. And a perfect example is a few weeks ago, footage came out of, of here in Indonesia. Uh, a truck was uh, stopped with 53 dogs on board. It was heading to a slaughterhouse and people lost their mind on it. Like they were going like all these articles from all around the world. And it's like, really? You know, you think that's really bad? The two minute video of these dogs being saved from that truck during that two minute video, I, I did the calculation yesterday for a video, 10 million, 80,000 other animals were killed in the meat, dairy, and egg industry. So it's amazing that people cared, but if they're caring about these dogs, they might as well care about all these animals. And, and, and that is what really speciesism is. And that is what the vegan activist and animal rights activist wants to work on in this society. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point you bring up that yeah, people do care, don't they? You know, like in this two minute video, it, it would have gone viral and um people do care. People who are rational, people who are compassionate, it is their in within their values. And like you say, it it hurts them to see these dogs going through this. A lot of these people have pets themselves and and they do otherwise care, but also, there is that disconnect. And this is something that I saw within myself previously as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why is what's causing this disconnect? You know, people are um, upset if they see these videos of these dogs getting sent to slaughterhouses, but then they'll go to the supermarket, like you say, and it's not even questioned. Why is that? What is, you know, you mentioned the marketing, but, you know, at a at the core of it, you know, what else is happening there where people are, um, yeah, like won't want to drive on the highway because they might hit wildlife. Um, but then, yeah, they'll happily go home and then eat like a, a steak that night. Yeah, I think it's because the steak that they eat, they do not see the steak as the flesh of an animal. There's just this huge Inception. disconnect between the two. Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. I see a lot of videos of people on the highway creating a lot of traffic because they stopped the car because ducks were crossing the road. And then maybe they did that on their way to KFC, you mm. know? And they're and heroes. Those videos, they're heroes. Yes. Yeah. Those videos, it's, they, it's they get so, so much praise. Yes. Yeah. Everyone becomes a hero. Everyone involved is a hero. If you save the ducks, you're a hero. But if you save a chicken, by law, in a few countries around the world, the United States is one of them. In certain states, you are a domestic terrorist for entering mm. a slaughterhouse or a farm peacefully without harming anyone, breaking anything, and rescuing an animal from abuse and slaughter. You are considered a domestic terrorist. This is the power of the of the lobby of the meat industry. They can pass these laws. They're, they're called ag-gag laws, and they're tried to do the same in Australia. They, they, they haven't been able to pass it the way they want to, but it's really dangerous because we have to ask ourselves if we start putting someone in the category of a domestic terrorist for saving a chicken, a pig, or a cow, or, or any animal who is being hurt, what kind of message is that sending? What does it make someone if they put a bomb in a, in a shopping street 
are they also a terrorist? So the person saving a life, one life, if they can, from abuse and slaughter is equally treated as a person who wants to destroy hundreds of lives and 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 shops and everything and disrupt society, you know? And um, I think vegan or not vegan people should care about this. You know, this is no longer about like your personal decision. This is something that we should all worry about because it's affecting all of us, you know, just, just because you're not part of it, just because you're not part of the movement now doesn't mean that what's happening is, is okay or that, that, that it's fine for you to, to, blind, to, to turn a blind eye to it. I think everyone should be concerned with the power of these industries. I think everyone who believes that they are a good person, and I believe most people are good people, should ask themselves if they feel okay funding an industry who does this. If you were given the option to fund an industry whose whole business is based on you not finding out what they're doing, or not funding them, which one would you choose? Why is this industry so secretive? You know, why are they doing so much to make sure no one sees what's going on behind those walls? Because the thing is, it's not even only about dogs. Most people care about other animals as well. If you take a pig into the city center of Melbourne and start stabbing the pig the way they do in slaughterhouses in Melbourne, People would call the cops on you. People would stop you before they even get to call the cops on you. They would call like, what is wrong with you? Don't do that. Because they would hear the pig screaming. They would hear the pig in pain. They would see that the pig wants to live. Most people would do that, I can guarantee. And then the question is, why would they come out of their way to stop you from doing that, but literally give money for someone else to do that? Exact same thing behind the wall. Mm, That's where... Out of exactly. sight, out of mind. Yeah. And and yeah. and and I say this again, as someone who used to hunt, who used to love eating meat, I didn't stop eating meat because I don't think it's tasty or something. I just didn't think that my taste pleasure is in any way a justification to harm someone else. I think that's a very, very disturbing way of trying to justify something. Yeah. And and there's the the fact that it's such a dominant belief system in society as well. Like people often think that the choice to be a vegan is like a a belief system, but also the opposite. The lifestyle of eating a certain way is a culture conditioning is a belief system as well, but it's just so dominant. There's the social pressure and there's just the fact that because it is so dominant, you, you just take it as a given rather than a choice, right? I know, but but social pressure should also not justify these things because I know when I was growing up, I had different groups of friends and some of them were much more progressive than others. And so when I learned about homosexuality and I realized how society reacts, I didn't shut up with when my less progressive friends made a joke, you know? Mm-hmm. And even though there was a social pressure to laugh it off or act like it was fine to do that, I would say something and I think everyone should, you know, regarding any type of discrimination. So I know there is some social pressure and, and I know it's not easy, but I also know that there's tons of communities out there that you can be part of, tons of support, free support that you can get from so many different websites nowadays that offer free help, nutritional guidance to go vegan to make sure that you do it the right way, 
to get the right information and everything. So the support is there. You just have to take the decision and I promise you will find the right community that will support you. And with that support, you'll also be able to have easier conversations with your friends who are not vegan or even against veganism. Yeah, yeah. You being one of them, <laughs> get in touch with you and you've got all this beautiful information out there for people to learn more, which we'll talk about um, later on in the episode. I think, you know, this has really opened up the idea that we are talking about today. And what I'd like to do is to go into more of the specifics of, you know, where we draw the line, you know, like who is considered a sentient being versus not. There are some ludicrous arguments out there that plants feel pain and, you know, uh, that people shouldn't eat plants either. So where, you know, where do we draw the line? What is a sentient being? So I think when it comes to that, we have to be very, um, very logical and, and, and pragmatic, and that is follow the science. Because you and I can talk about what we believe all day long, but if it's not backed up by science, it has no value. Um, scientifically speaking, in order to feel pain and be aware of the pain and experience pain, you need to have a cert, uh, central nervous system and a brain. Other animals have that, which is why they flee pain the way we do which is why they fear pain the way we do. And they have the same reactions to pain that we do. Plants don't have that because plants don't have central nervous systems. They don't have um, a brain the way that we and other animals do. And there's a few ways of addressing this. One of, one of them is this, that, that plants just don't, have, they, they are incredibly intelligent. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of scientific data showing how intelligent plants are, how they communicate, how they react to stimuli but the phone also reacts to stimuli when you pick it up and it turns on by itself. It doesn't make a phone um, sentient in any way. It does make it intelligent the way plants are. And plants are probably even more intelligent than, uh, than phones. It's really amazing the amount of things that they do in nature. But we should not confuse intelligence for sentience because those are two very different things. So this is the first point. Second point is that unlike animal products, we do actually have to eat plants. So even if plants felt pain, even if, even though they don't, we would still have to eat plants. And the third part is that even if they felt pain, a non-vegan diet contains up to 14 times more plants than a vegan diet because the 70 to 80 billion land animals that we're raising and killing for food eat a lot of plants. You know, what are all these cows and pigs and chickens? Exactly. So if we really care about plant suffering, then the most sustainable and ethical diet is the one that reduces plant suffering the most, which is a vegan plant-based diet. So in all ways that matter, if we care about plants, we have to also stick to a plant-exclusive diet. (laughs) Yeah. So it comes back to the start, you know, like that is the way to reduce the, the, I guess our impact on, on what, what um, we eat, but also, you know, this is another branch of this conversation. Um, the impact on the planet as well. And the sustainability of like land usage of water usage, um, gas emissions, there's less of an impact because you said, yeah, it takes 14, 14 times more yeah plants to feed the animals to then um you know eat the 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 middleman yeah. there yeah it, it's really insane like the 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 environmental impact like this is the industry that is the number one cause of deforestation greenhouse gas well, one of the top causes of greenhouse gas emissions 
um, ocean dead zones, soil erosion, water depletion, species extinction. And we are wondering if it's sustainable. And we even have people trying to claim that it's sustainable. I find very interesting. A lot of people talk about the regenerative farming now and say that oh, we should do that with cows, you know, like regenerative farming and, and it's sustainable. If we switch to regenerative farming, we would have to get rid of 85% of the current meat supply that we have. So if you really believe, I challenge you to start by doing that. Get rid of 85% of the animal products that you're eating because that's what the regenerative agriculture would demand because we, we have very limited resources with what we're doing with the planet. So I appreciate that people have the intention of being more sustainable, but we have to keep in mind that even if, even if something was more sustainable, even if we found a way, and, and this is not the case, even if we found a solution where eating animals was more sustainable than a vegan diet, the ethical problem with eating animals is more important. And a very simple way of explaining that is if we find a solution for climate change that makes it more sustainable, but it involves a very unethical action, would it be justified? Very simply speaking, population is a big issue. Populations that have big, like big amount of consumption, you know, overconsumption of products, they are a big part of the problem that we have when it comes to sustainability issues. Would it be justified to get rid of half of the human population in the name of sustainability? Mm. It's more sustainable. It's much more sustainable, actually. The world would be a better place. Can we justify that though based on sustainability? I doubt it because it's still unethical to harm someone. Um, so that's the same case with, with, with farming other animals. The ethical question is the number one thing that we should be worried about. It just happens to be that it's also the most sustainable thing that we can do. Yeah, yeah. So it makes the case even stronger. And going yeah. back to sentient beings, so any being who has a central nervous system, who has a brain, can feel pain and will actively avoid that, will feel all those emotions, which is why if you were to step on the foot or the paw of your dog, they'll, they'll yelp out. What about, let's talk about um, sea life because there's, there's a stereotype, isn't there? That fish, they have a yeah. three second memory or they don't feel pain. You know, you put a hook through their mouth and they don't feel pain. So what are your thoughts and what would you say about fish and sea life? I think the reason why we have those thoughts is because fish are even more different uh, to us than other animals because they even their their life area you know where they live is is under the water um so we even think of them in in, in a more um like separate way than than we think of other animals like if you were to ask the, the average person would you rather kill a fish or a pig i'm pretty sure they would rather kill a fish um and the reason for that actually has no scientific explanation fish do feel pain in fact in a lot of ways fish are even smarter and more like aware of their surrounding and their consciousness than 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 land animals it has been um scientifically proven uh, obviously this doesn't apply to all uh um, like sea animals but but this is the case with a lot of them and it's very interesting because even within that, we have some type of discrimination because we are ready, for example, to stop using plastic straws um, to save sea turtles, but then we don't mind killing 84,000 marine animals every single second, 2.7 trillion per year, that's 84,000 per second. So it's like, 
do you care about some marine animals but not others and then what is your justification for that again it's all this weird it's really interesting that this exists and no one really knows how we got here that that's the that's the worst part like we just got to a place where we care about some animals and we just really don't care about others but when it comes to the science the science is very clear there's no doubt there is not a single doubt that marine animals are also sentient Mm. That that whole concept goes back to what we were talking about at the start of this conversation. What you've got in your Instagram bio, you know, the whole idea that you know some lives some lives matter less, some lives matter more. That is once again, it comes back to that, and um, yeah. whether it is between different humans or different animals and different sea life. Again, like we saw um, that Netflix documentary that came out last year, I think it was Sea Spiracy. That, yeah. that was extremely popular. The angle of that was primarily looking at dolphins and whales. Um, and yeah. it was looking, they were looking at fish as well, but, you know, people were very upset by the, the whales and the dolphins, the footage yeah. of, of those larger marine animals. Going from there, you know, the, the whole idea that we're talking about, the idea that some lives matter more or less, you mentioned that, yeah, that's something that we want to minimize, right? So something that we that we go by is like, yeah, we, we call ourselves vegan. We live, that's a label for the lifestyle of wanting to yeah, minimize that idea and, and change our lifestyle to align with that. So can you actually explain what veganism is? Yeah, so veganism is actually something that is not new, Some unlike what, a lot of people believe veganism is not a trend. It has been here for like more than a thousand years. Um, there's many philosophers throughout the past that have talked about animal rights and not killing other animals for our benefit. Specifically, the oldest documented vegan uh, was actually a philosopher from Syria. He didn't use the word vegan, of course, at the time, but he did write a poem about um, not taking what does not belong to us from other animals. The poem is called, I no longer steal from nature. And he talks about how he doesn't take anything from the bees anymore because the honey is not made for us. He doesn't take the, the milk that is made for the, for the baby of the cow. He doesn't take the, eat the flesh of other animals because that's not his to take. Uh, and this was more than a thousand years ago. Um, and since then, obviously, we've had a lot of philosophers and, and historians who have talked about that as well. And eventually, a few decades ago, Donald Watson um, gave the term veganism um, uh, while working with other, um, uh, I'm not sure if they were philosophers, but people who were concerned about this subject. So the, the word is new, the term is new, but the philosophy isn't. Uh, even Leonardo da Vinci talked about um, uh, what we're doing to other animals, actually. And so veganism as a definition, it's if you look up on the website of the vegan society, it's is a vegan is a person who um, doesn't contribute um, as far as practically possible to the exploitation of other animals and therefore doesn't use any products that come from from other animals or their body secretions. Now, it's very important to keep in mind that the, there's an expression in this definition that says as far as practically possible. And the reason for that is, is very simple because it, it's impossible to make it zero. It, it's just 
unless you, you, you stop living, you're still going to harm other animals, whether intentionally or non-intentionally, you know, uh, unintentionally, whether it's driving a car, walking outside, you know, you're always going to step on insects, maybe sometimes hit a, hit an animal. Um, so you, the, the idea is that you try your best. And it, when it comes to intentionally, sometimes we're aware that we're harming and we can't do anything about it. And that's, for example, when we're paying taxes and taxes are being used uh, because of the lobbying of the industry to subsidize animal products, which is completely unethical in my opinion. Um, so for this reason, the, the definition makes it very clear that you do this because you believe it's wrong to discriminate against other animals and you do it as far as practically possible. A very small percentage of, of the population may also suffer from uh, specific um, um, eating disorders that may make it um, uh, difficult because of the, um, the, the centers that provide the care not accepting vegan diets inside. I've had a friend of mine who went through that. Um, so they, they just claim that she doesn't have the right to eat vegan while receiving treatment because of her eating disorder, which is something that can make their disorder even worse because they have even more guilt eating animals. It's very dangerous. Um, but, but that's what it is. And we also have to take into consideration that some people live in areas where do not, they do not have access um, to plant-based foods the way you and I do. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people think that they are part of this population, um, but this is actually a very, very small population of the world that lives in areas that have that issue. And um, this is why I say, you know, sometimes people say like, what about some tribes in Africa? Are you going to make them go vegan? And I'm like, who's talking about them? When was the last time you saw a vegan activist or animal rights activist claiming that tribes in, in, in an African forest have to go vegan? And it's very weird how they always talk about a tribe in Africa, you know, like it's very specific. When they're um, not in the tribe, when they're not in the tribe yeah, in Africa, uh, they're uh, like sitting, uh, sitting in an exactly. air-conditioned room in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's also very interesting because what I say is that the majority of the world population has access in order to, to be vegan, you know, as much as practically possible. They have that access. So I'm, I'm concentrating on them, you know. When we're done with that, do I think we should make literally everyone else also go vegan? Yes, of course. Be, because, and, and, and I know some people might get triggered by this, but please let me explain. Um, if we're talking about raising awareness about human rights issues, okay, uh, we're going to do it in, uh, in places where we know that we have immediate impact, that we can change the laws, the regulations to, to get as much human rights respect as possible and make sure that everyone is respected. Well, some tribes do not respect human rights. They do not respect women. They do not respect um, certain, let's say, um, uh, I, I don't know, like any category that we might, you and I might give, you know, but let, let's even talk about uh, the most simple one, which is sexism, you know, are, are we, are we supposed to turn a blind eye to it just because they are a specific tribe? Like, what does that say about our respect towards the victim? You know, what does that say about our actual stance against sexism? So it's not because that someone uh, is part of a tribe or they're, let's say, an indigenous people's that we can turn a blind eye to everything they're doing uh, simply because they are still human beings. They are human beings that are very, unfortunately, sometimes in the past harmed by our cultures, but that doesn't mean that everything that they do is right and that we should not do anything um, to change their ways to, um, let's say, not have victims over there. What I believe is that we should find very specific ways 
to fight for that change. And I'm not even advocating for this now. This is not the moment to worry about those tribes or anything. We can get to that once the majority of the human population lives in cities and villages and, and has access to it and, and has the education and the possibility to go vegan. But in the uh, parallel universe where that is an option, I think we should do that. And, and, and the reason why I believe that we should do that is because we would do it with human rights and there's nothing in animals that, so, so just to make it very clear, the idea of human rights is the same idea of animal, animal rights. It's, it's the whole thing that we talked about in the beginning is that we have a lot of differences, but these differences don't hold any moral value. They don't have any moral weight when it comes to the consideration that we give. And that's why if you would do it with human rights, then we might as well do it with animal rights. Mm. So just, just banish the word, the difference between the two and just call it life rights. Because that's what it is at the core, rights to life. Exactly. Exactly. You are born in this world. There are certain basic moral rights that you deserve to have and no one should violate those rights. Yeah. And I think that, that that's good to cover because, like you said, the idea that it has to be all or nothing, right? Like if we accidentally um, you drive over insects or we've accidentally stepped on insects, that suddenly means that we should just give up, put our hands up and do <laughs> nothing about trying to minimise yeah you know, harm to other life. Um, so it, it is as far as practically possible. But also the idea that this goes beyond a diet because that's what I know yes. I used to think as well. Like I used to think it was just a diet that some extreme people decided to take on. But this whole life, this whole lifestyle, this whole mentality, this idea is more than a diet. It is an entire lifestyle that is about aligning ourselves to our values. Yeah, that's true. And I think one of the most amazing things is that once we accept this lifestyle, we also automatically accept every type of justice. You know, we, we, it, it's very, very, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they don't exist, but it, it's very difficult to, find a vegan who who is intentionally i mean again i'm not saying they don't exist but a vegan racist you know i would even say that they don't understand veganism if they're racist because if you understand veganism then how could you be racist you know if you're able to understand that that other uh, forms of life other animals deserve basic moral rights but then you don't apply that to other humans then you definitely didn't understand veganism you know, mm. so I think one that's one of the beautiful things about veganism is that once you become vegan, you automatically realize that you should be against all types of discrimination and you should fight to help whoever is a victim to discrimination whenever you have the power to do so. Bringing this down to more the specifics of how this looks in terms of our lifestyle choices. So you, Seb, I know that you have been into farms you've you've seen what goes on behind those closed doors that we were talking about so what is it that actually happens that we should talk about and bring out from behind those closed doors like we should actually have awareness on that that means that in order to live in alignment with these values of love compassion and equality for all life means that we decide to change our diet first and foremost yeah, I mean, the, the sheer amount of violence that takes place inside these, you know, we say the, world's, the word slaughterhouse, we say it as just it's a random word. We, we have created a space, a building 
called a slaughterhouse. That's where sentient beings get slaughtered. We don't think about this often. We act like, yeah, that's the slaughterhouse. Like, no, actually take a moment and, and try to think about what we have created as, as humans who have so much capacity for compassion and understanding and, and empathy. We have created these places in ridiculous numbers all around the world where countless animals every single day are hung upside down and have their throats slit and bleed to death, screaming in agony, in pain, in fear, just so that we can have something for five minutes and we call it food and take a photo and put it on Instagram. When we have the option to not support that, it's a very easy option to just choose something else off of the menu. On one hand, we have this incredible amount of suffering. And you know what? A lot of people say, I only eat um, from my local farms. Um, local animals aren't more grateful that a local person killed them. They're still getting stabbed in the neck and bleeding to death. They're still ripped apart from their families. They're still suffering there. And, and also like, a lot of people say they do that, but somehow 99% of the, of the meat and dairy on the market comes from factory farms. So why is it that every single time I bring this up, people say like, ah, I only buy from small farms, but somehow the supply chain is 99% factory farms where animals spend their whole lifetime suffering, sometimes in little cages, in battery cages where they can't even turn around. You know, I often think about it. Uh, when I travel, I sit... Uh, obviously in economy, I, I can barely move. And that makes me so anxious. I get so uncomfortable. And I literally, my longest flight ever was to Australia, by the way, my first longest flight was to Australia. And I was so afraid of what's going to happen to me on the plane. And I sometimes take a moment and imagine if I was in that seat my whole life. That's what we're doing to other animals. Other animals that would that are just as uncomfortable as you would be when you're in these places, but that's literally where they spend their whole life. And then to finish that, we put we load them onto a truck, even like cram them more into each other, take them to a place where they can smell, hear, and feel what's going on inside and see sometimes, and then slaughter them there. If this isn't the most, I don't even have any words to describe it, the most disturbing idea that humans have come up with, I don't think what is. And I cannot imagine any human being who wants to think of themselves as well-intended, wanting to intentionally support this or even try to find justifications when the science is clear on all the scientific consensus that we have that we can survive and thrive, even be healthier and even prevent the top causes of death by sticking to a plant-exclusive diet. Why are we trying to argue this? You know, why are we trying to find a way to justify doing this to other animals? You know, what have we become? What do we have the power to become and what are we deciding to become instead? It just blows my mind. And, and the thing is like, some people think I'm judging. I'm not judging. It blows my mind that I was there. My father told me not to hunt. And he told me not to hunt because he used to hunt until one day a bird died in his hand and he no longer hunted since then. 
And he told me not to hunt and I didn't listen to him and I did it anyway while calling myself an animal lover, while arguing with my friends who called me a hypocrite because I I, I, I was defending and, and always talking about my cat because my mom wanted to remove his nails because he was ruining the, the, the sofas because he was ripping apart the textile. And the thing is, I went so far as to making a Facebook group against my mom and invite all my friends to support me in not letting her do that. And I won. And that's when my friend, uh, one of my friends who was in that group, she said, Seb, you're a hypocrite. You love, you love your cat, but you're not an animal lover. You go hunt, you eat meat all the time, you know? And it was so difficult for me to accept that. It was so difficult, but she showed me one video called Farm to Fridge on YouTube. It was 10 minutes long, I remember. And when I finished watching that video, the only thing I could think about was, please, please let me try to find a good justification because I didn't want to give up meat. And the same thing happened when I watched Earthlings and I saw more documentaries about veganism and speciesism in specific because I first went vegetarian. My friend was vegetarian. We both didn't know more about veganism. When I first learned about veganism, I was like, I really need to find an argument because I don't want to give up cheese. I don't want to give up yogurt. I don't want to go vegan. And if, if we want to be true to ourselves, I can tell you, don't waste your time. I've tried to come up with arguments. <laughs> I've tried it. <laughs> yeah, you've there, been there. There, there. there, I've been there. There aren't any arguments. And most importantly, when you're given the information, try not to make yourself the victim. The victim is the animal, you know, and that's what helped me stay vegan. When I first went vegan, I still wanted to eat cheese, but whenever I wanted to reach out to grab cheese, I wondered who's the real victim, me who has the option to eat something else and still enjoy food. It's not like non-vegan food is not tasty. I ate non-vegan food all my life. You know, it's not like we're not having fun anymore when we're having food, you know? So the real victim is not me who has an option to eat something else. It's the animal right now who are inside these farms and factories and slaughterhouses. And so if I have any amount of respect towards these animals and towards life in general, and at the minimum amount of empathy, then the least I can do is not only go vegan, but also speak up for them because yeah. their voices aren't being heard. And that's really sad. You know, it's, it's really, really sad because you know, what we do to these animals, we wouldn't even do it in war against other humans who are trying to kill us. These animals, we don't even know them. And look what we do. It's mind-blowing. We, we, put, we put pigs in gas chambers. In Australia, I've been there. I've seen it. I've heard it. It's, we literally put them in CO2 gas chambers where they suffer. They pass out and then they get, they get hung upside down and get their throats slit. And that is labeled as humane slaughter. That is compassion. That is what we call compassion. That is humane. That's the label that they put because they know that the customer, the consumer doesn't feel good about killing other animals. So try to get in touch with that part of you that doesn't feel good and pay attention next time you're shopping how they're trying to make you feel good. That's what I would ask people to do. You know, when you grab that product, take a moment and look at the product. What are they doing for you to feel good about buying it? Why don't they put photos of what, what happened? Each animal that gets slaughtered, put a photo of the animal bleeding out to death. 
I think consumers are just being scammed. I think this is the worst industry in existence and, and it's really disturbing how much power and money they have. Mm. It's like what they're doing. I'm not sure if this is happening all over the world, but I know in Australia that's what they're doing to cigarettes and they've been doing that for a few years now. On the cigarette packets, they'll put photos of the consequences of lung cancer and things like that. And that is in an attempt to spread awareness and to, you know, educate people. This is actually the truth um, rather than sugarcoating it and, and making it look like something that it's not yeah of course it's that that is true marketing except when it comes to animal products the the packaging has to be much bigger just to be able to share everything you're contributing to every time you buy it from your health to the environment and most importantly what you're doing to the other animals good luck having a big enough package for all of that yeah yeah it it needs to be huge and what you were yeah. saying before, you know, try, we try to justify, you know, things that we know we shouldn't be doing. And you, you've been there. I've been there as well. Like I used to be, an, I've always been a huge animal lover. I used to save ants. I used to take snails off the track and I still do because I, I run a lot, take snails off the track so they don't get stepped on. Yet I wouldn't be able to make that connection when I was eating. And if I met vegans back in the day when I wasn't yet vegan myself, I remember like I'd put a wall up and I would feel disconnected from them. Like as soon as they said anything that might suggest that I should also create change, I'd shut that down straight away. And I think a lot of that comes down to what we were talking about earlier, just the fact that this is so weaved into our conditioning. It's it's so dominant amongst what we do and yeah when when videos do come out of what you were speaking about before Seb what actually happens in these slaughterhouses when videos do come up and sometimes they do circulate on social media then people see it but then they they say they might think that oh this is the extreme you know this happens in some places but it's not standard practice you know standard practice is more humane but you've seen, you've been in these slaughterhouses, Seb, so you know what standard practice is. So what is that? What is standard practice? And what is actually humane? Like, is, is it really, can you really yeah. call it humane? They try to call everything humane nowadays. You know, uh, there are different ways of stunning these animals. Some of them use electrical pods. Some of them put them in gas chambers. Um, what I would say is if somebody believes that what is happening inside these places is good, Go to your nearest slaughterhouse and ask them to let you in. Try. See what they say. They they do not feel comfortable anyone going in. And then if they let you in, ask them if you can take footage. Ask them like, hey, what you're doing is humane, right? It's compassionate. It's standard. in. If it's standard industry practice, then it's legal. If it's legal, why don't you want people to see Every single species of animal is killed in a horrific way. And no matter how we kill them, even if even if we find the least painful way to kill them, how is that justified? You know, even if they were given um, some kind of shot and they passed out and in their sleep, we killed them with one shot to the head, even if we did that. Is that humane? We have the option not to do that. Because I can do that with my dogs now. I have, I have four dogs at home. I can kill them all in their sleep. They will not see it coming. They lived beautiful lives. They got all the love they wanted. They were individuals. That's humane, free range, happy dog meat. Who would buy that, you know? People would go mm. crazy if I did that. 
for a good reason, because it's not okay to do that, but it's not okay for all animals, not only for dogs. So when it comes to the egg industry, to begin with in the hatcheries, the male and the female are separated. The males are put on a conveyor belt that ends up in a shredder. They are shredded alive because they are male and they're useless. The females are sent to the farm where if it's a battery cage farm, they're, they're put in these cages their whole life in very stressful conditions. They don't turn off the lights on purpose to make them lay more eggs. They create stressful conditions to keep the production of eggs very high. And um, laying an egg is the equivalent of having an ovulation as a, as a woman, as a human being. So I may not know what that feels like, but any woman who ovulates knows that it's not a fun process. And, and these chickens are naturally supposed to have that around 14 to 16 times a year. Nowadays, they have it 300 times a year. That's what we're putting them into. No matter what condition they live in, that is just not okay. We should just stop seeing them as production machines for us to make money off or to have a meal when we have the option to make money in another way or to have another meal, as simple as that. And then these chickens, when they can no longer take it, they're sent to slaughter as well. You know, when they say it's free range, free range only means there are no cages. That means you can put up to 15,000 chickens in one, one shed. There's no cages, but they can't walk around because they grow so big in 30 or 40 days. Um, this is a part of the, the chicken meat industry. Um, they grow so big so fast that their body can't, can't hold their weight and they have issues. And that's why if you enter these farms, which they will not let you to do, you will see a lot of chickens not being able to walk because they grow too big, too fast, because we have genetically like modified them so much through the way that we, we feed and, and make them grow that they've become like this species that is supposed to make as much money as possible for us when they're killed. Um, when it comes to free range egg farms, um, you know, someone can say, yeah, what about uh, like my uncle? Everyone has an uncle, has an uncle who has a backyard chicken. I don't know how everyone has one. <laughs> if your uncle has, a, has chickens in his backyards and these chickens are laying eggs, it has been seen that taking away the eggs makes them more stressed because for them, it doesn't make any sense that their egg is being taken away. And um, I would wonder how many people would take care of these chickens if they were not getting something in return. We are always trying to get something out of them because we see them as resources. And that is a huge problem, seeing other beings as resources for us to benefit from. You know, why not just have a chicken because you want to take care of a chicken? Why not just have a cow or a pig or, or, or a sheep or a goat because you want to give them shelter? That's what animal sanctuaries do, the vegan animal sanctuaries, where these, where these animals actually become individuals who live out their lives, have, have their own personalities. You know, they all have personalities. I spend time with chickens. They're one of the most interesting animals you can spend time with. They're absolutely amazing. They're so funny. They are so specific and different from each other. And we reduce them to resources. It's really sad. When it comes to the dairy industry, first of all, the bulls are anally um, electrocuted, which results in ejaculation so that they collect the sperm, they give it to dairy farms and the dairy farms, the farmers put their arms inside the cow and then get the cow pregnant using the sperm as well. 
Um, if you wanted a better definition of bestiality, good luck finding one. <laughs> Um, and then after sexually assaulting the bulls and the cows, they're pregnant and they give birth. When they give birth, the baby is taken away from them because that's when a cow produces milk, just like any other mammal, just like any other animal who has babies, they produce milk, just like us. And the milk is intended for no one else but the baby. But we take the baby away because we want to take the milk and we want to sell the milk and make cheese and butter and ice cream out of the milk. When we have the option to make cheese, butter, and ice cream from plant-based sources, they are healthier, they are better for the environment, and they're more ethical. But we're not doing that because this industry has too much power already, and they rely on the consumer's ignorance and money. So when the cow is milked and can no longer produce milk, we just do it again. We get them pregnant again. And every single time the baby is taken away, the, the cow cries. I've been on dairy farms. I've been on small dairy farms, on big dairy farms. It's all the same. The babies are taken away and the mothers cry and they look for their babies because that's what they are. They are mothers. And this is something even dairy farmers talk about. They don't like doing this. If the babies are males, sometimes they're killed on the spot because they're useless or they kept and then killed for what we call veal, which is just... Uh, a word that we have created so, so that we don't say uh, a male baby calf who was killed, you know, and, and this is what we do to cows in the dairy industry. And then once they stop producing milk, because they're too tired, they're too exhausted emotionally and mentally and physically, they're called downers. And that's when they're sent to slaughter. And that's, that's why 50% of the meat in the market actually comes from the dairy industry, which is why we vegetarians have a lot of blood on their hands. And I say this as someone who was vegetarian for eight years. I'm not saying to judge. I'm saying it because I wish someone else told me that this is what I was contributing to. The same thing happens in the fish industry. You know, we go into the oceans and kill 84,000 fishes per second. That's a ridiculous number. A lot of like the, the reason for that is because we throw these nets and a lot of these fishes actually are not uh, used for, 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 for food and they're just thrown back in the ocean. Um, thousands of sharks and dolphins are killed in the process sea turtles as well so if you do care about these animals you would also stop supporting the fishing industry and i'm talking about the standard practice but this doesn't mean that small scale is better small scale killing is still killing small scale abuse is still abuse there's an amazing documentary called dominion that covers what happens specifically shot in australia actually it's if you just go on youtube and write dominion movie or just go and watch dominion.com you can see all the details in all these industries including the fashion industry the pharmaceutical industry we've just made nothing but objects out of alive sentient beings just so that we can make more money out of it so for anyone who is listening to this step and this is a surprise to them and they're shocked and they want to start creating changes in their life to be able to do their part for all of these animals. Sometimes there's an all or nothing approach from the start, which can be positive, but can also deter people from actually making these changes at all. So for anyone who is listening and they want to start making, taking their first steps and changing their day-to-day -day things, what would you suggest? Where can they start? So there are tons of resources. Um, I will mention a few and I would like them to go through it all and see what works for them best. Uh, there's veganbootcamp.com uh, or .org. I'm not sure, but veganbootcamp will show up on Google easily. Um, 
uh, you get free nutritional guidance, but you also get a lot of documentaries and it's like a checklist. You win points every single time you finish doing one thing and then you can use the points to get discounts at vegan businesses at the end. And um, the really nice thing about Vegan Bootcamp is that it also explains the environmental health and ethical aspect and helps you be more aware and, and better prepared to, to answer questions and things like that. And it's completely for free. Uh, there's also Veganuary, which is very famous. Um, that one is more like, let's say more about just a diet. Uh, Challenge 22 is like that as well. All of these are for free. Um, if you're in Australia, of course, uh, Simon Hill's website, plantproof.com, he has really good resources as well. And, uh, he has like a free, um, diet plan that you can download. And of course, being in Australia, he, it might be more useful for them because they know where to get all the stuff. Um, I remember Woolies had really nice vegan products. <laughs> oh, and and when was the last time you've been to Australia? Because it's improved a lot in the last 12 months. I can alone. imagine. It was uh, two, two and a half years ago. Yeah. You should come wow. back, Seb, and, and I'll yeah. take you to Woolies and we'll go shopping. <laughs> oh, my God. There's also this uh, vegan uh, junk food, fast food place, um, Lord of the Wings. Was Lord of the Fries. Called? Lot of the uh, okay, lot of fries, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they you don't even know they're vegan. It doesn't say anywhere. Mm, you just buy it, and that is actually all vegan. Um, so there, there are all these resources, um, and and they're all for free. There's also milliondollarvegan.com. They also have an automated like resource. They're all for free. They all want to help you, give you nutritional guidance, recipes, ideas, and motivation to go vegan. I think the most important part is to understand the ethical side. Because once you have the ethical side, you will do it with conviction and dedication. And just like anything else, if you don't have enough dedication, you might fall out. And, and I wouldn't want anyone to fall out because that means more animals being harmed again. Mm, absolutely. You've got to have a strong why, a strong pull to do something and to sustain it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Well, Seb, we're you know coming to the end of this episode Thank you so much for sharing this information, sharing your experiences, sharing your years of work that you have put in so that we can learn more about how we can live more mindfully, how we can actually do our part for a better, more inclusive, peaceful and loving world. So for anyone who does want to read your new ebook, where When Animal Rights and Logic Meet, uh, for anyone who wants to find out more about you, what you do, where's the best place for them to do so? Uh, it's all on my website, sebalex.org. They can find all the information there, links to go vegan and get help, the, the ebook in 20 languages, uh, my YouTube, Instagram, everything is linked there. Beautiful. Well, once again, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And there it is, my conversation with animal rights activist, Seb Alex. Firstly, if you've made it to the end of this episode, well done. Kudos to you. I hope that this conversation has been eye-opening for you in a positive way. I know when I first learned about this, it was a big shock. I at first didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to borrow it. But when I finally accepted the truth, it did set me free. I felt so much better living in alignment to my values and I could finally open up my mind to the truth of life as I knew it. 
So for you, if you are on your own journey, then please, you know, feel free to reach out if you have any questions, if you would like to talk more about this or share any feedback or receive any advice on how you can continue moving towards alignment, then reach out to Seb Alex or myself. Our details will be in the show notes and we can open up the floor to discussing this further. All right, everyone. Thank you again for listening through to the end of this episode. It means a lot to me. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you in the next episode.